0: Welcome back, Pod TSD an L.A. Rams podcast. I'm Kenneth Arthur, and let's get right into it. With me today, he's been on uh, Pod TSD before. He's I've, uh, We've talked many, many, many times uh, on podcasts about the NFL, and uh, today is no different. Uh, here is Joe McAtee, a.k.a. 3K, uh, former managing editor at Turf Show Times, uh, Joe, first of all, for everyone out there who is listening, um, here we are after, uh, we were just talking about it before the podcast, after, you know, sort of all this weirdness that's happened in the last year plus, um, not to mention the, the weirdness that happened prior to that, But what is going on with you and uh, beyond the horns and the Rams coverage, please, uh, for everyone out there that's listening, let them know more about what's going on with you and where they can find you.
1: Yeah, sure. Beyond the Horns or BTH underscore Rams on Twitter. And hello, everybody. And hello to you, Kenny. Um, thanks for hello. having me on, man. We'll, we'll we'll chop it up in a second. But yeah, BTH underscore Rams on Twitter, Instagram, beyondthehorns.com. The newsletter is The Morning Ram. We're going to be ramping that up soon. But, you know, it's just a bunch of guys still hanging out, talking about the Rams, talking about life. Middle-aged dads trying <laughs> to be cool, right? Learning from our kid. Sheesh, like stuff like that. And <laughs>
0: I'm not a middle-aged boring. dad yet. I'm getting to oh. middle age, but not the dad part.
1: It's um, it's part of the career arc. You know, you can't. Yeah, you're, you're still in your third year in the league. You got to yeah. work your way up to veteran status.
0: I'll get there. I'll get there. Um, well, tell me about the 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 conversations that have been happening because um, after so many big stories, I would say yeah. since Les Snead took over. Uh, as general manager, and Jeff Fisher came in. Mm-hmm. I would say the Rams have been maybe the second or third every time in the NFL. All the teams that have made headlines. Yeah, I mean, trading up for Jared Goff, trading down uh, when Robert Griffin, you know, in 2012.
1: RG three. Yeah. yeah.
0: So all the big, the big draft trades, the big coaching hires, the big coaching fires, the youngest head coach, the Super Bowl trade, 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 trade. After all of that, maybe nothing compares to the Matthew Stafford trade. So what, has been the conversation is everybody on your side of things on the same page or is there uh, some contention there
1: well I think the biggest thing is just how aggressive they've been in the last couple of years and the fact that you know there's going to be a bill for that in the coming years but that's part of the calculation you make when you're being this aggressive I think the thing is now you got to go out and do it I, I don't know if you're a boxing fan but the the thing not I keep much. going back, yeah, is the Corrales Castillo fight when he gets knocked down. So I don't want to. I shouldn't have spoiled it. Sorry for the casual <laughs> boxing fans. Eight years later, uh-huh. can you do spoilers for something that came out like eight years ago? What's the oh. what's the statute of limitations on spoilers?
0: Don't tell me what happens in the uh, Panthers Broncos <laughs> Super Bowl. Just don't yet.
1: spoil the end of Titanic for me. Oh yeah. man,
0: the no, act, but- the event, not the movie. <laughs>
1: it's one of those things where he gets knocked down twice and his trainer goes up to him and goes, you got to get it done now. And that's kind of where the Rams are at. They got to go get it done. They've cornered themselves into what would be an incredibly small sliver of what could be defined as successful for these next two seasons. Um, but that's by their own doing. So, you know, it's not, it's not an unfair amount of pressure. It's not an unfair expectation that they've placed on themselves. It's, it's sacrificing some future capital to correct what will need to be corrected three, four years from now to be able to go all in now. That's why I was a little bit surprised that uh, they weren't apparently as aggressive in the Julio Jones discussions. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I, what's the limit? What's the difference between trading some future assets for, to get better at quarterback and trading some future assets to get better at wide receiver? I was a little bit surprised by that, since that's kind of been the mo for the last couple of years. But yeah, I think the biggest thing is that this is a team clearly with Super Bowl aspirations, and that's going to affect everybody's perception before you even get to Week One.
0: I want to ask about the trading of the future assets, but first, really quickly, because you mentioned it. What if you trade for Julio Jones as the Rams? what, do, what's the corresponding move at wide receiver to open up that spot?
1: I think the right answer is I don't care. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's Julio Jones. So it's one of those things where, yeah. you know, if you give up uh, Robert Woods or a Cooper cup or you got to throw in a draft pick or two, especially cause it sounds like, what's it going to take a second? It sounds yeah. like uh, from the latest reports. So it sounds like it. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where sure you, Robert Woods and Cooper cup have obviously been great players for the Rams and successful and, you would hate to kind of truncate their careers for something as abrupt and uh, unforeseen as adding Julio Jones. But, you know, you did the same thing with Jared Goff. And, you know, it's it's one of those things where th- this is clearly a team that is willing to be aggressive to try to win now and maximize their chances at doing that. I don't have a problem with that strategy. It's just one of the things where you've got to go do it. It's, it's kind of like the Super Bowl or bust approach in 2018. I wrote a piece after that season that the approach worked because they went to the Super Bowl, right? Where they had, they gave up a third and a fifth for half a season of Dante Fowler. Yeah. Well It worked. Right. I mean, you can you can argue with, okay, you know, whether or not you agree with it structurally, but you can't really disagree that it worked. And so now the key is to make sure that after the Jalen Ramsey trade and obviously now after the Matt Stafford trade to make sure that it looks like it works when they get done.
0: This is not a statement that I think anybody who is an NFL fan could categorically deny as possible, which is
1: candy corn is delicious
0: that's uh okay. no that's categorically okay. i mean i'm okay. on that side i'm I'm oh. with you but oh uh this house is a candy corn
1: house but <laughs> uh, and I, by
0: that i mean literally but i think uh, that's the under
1: <laughs> armor campaign
0: <laughs> um i julio jones will make the next three all pro teams i mean he's good he's not slowed down at all <laughs> So if there's a guy that you were going to say, this guy could have a thirties, like Jerry rice, the only the guy, guy. And he <laughs> is the guy. So I think
1: he's the career leader in receiving yards per game. Like yeah. this isn't like an average or like slightly above average wide receiver. Uh, and
0: exact And like, Yes, Matt Ryan is a good quarterback, but clearly, like, yeah, Julio Jones. You could say that, like, in that similar way, like if Jerry Rice had Montana and Young, you know, Julio could say, yeah, by the end of my career, I'll I'll have Ryan and Stafford, and and I'll make them both so much better for it. Yeah. Um, back to the giving up draft picks. You and me, uh, a lot of our conversations have uh, centered around the draft because you're a big fan of college football. I'm a big fan of the draft itself, not so much as college football. And you're also a fan of the draft. Sure. I cannot for the life of me ever come to terms with the fact that when a lot of people in the media or a lot of people, a lot of fans talk about trades, they don't qualify a first round pick as a late first round pick or an early first round pick. Sure. So and there's a massive, massive difference between just a little things. bit, just a little bit. <laughs> the difference between a top five pick and a bottom five pick in the first round is probably the difference between a second round pick and a sixth round pick.
1: I mean, it's the it's, difference between franchises, right? I mean, that's the whole right. reason you move up into the top five to get a quarterback is, you know, that you can or the top defensive end every year. Yeah. You can only get those guys in the top five. You can't get them at the back end of the first.
0: Yeah. I mean, if we're talking about the 49ers and I don't know how you exactly. feel about that, but like at the end of the day, for me, there is, for me, there is no comparison between, like, say Trey Lance and Justin Fields. I sure. understand why you sure. would go get Trey Lance, so or Mac Jones. You know, to, to have Justin Fields and Mac Jones, I can see why they would go. No, we got to give up these two future picks because it's Trey Lance or whatever. Right. But and and even that, I mean, we'll talk. We can talk about Trey Lance. But at the end of the day, uh, how how concerned? are you about two late first round picks? If that's what the Rams ended up giving for Stafford.
1: I don't know that I'm concerned about it. It's just, you know, that 2023 pick is, uh, you know, if, if they, if Jacksonville exercises the fifth year option, that's a player that's going to be on their team in 2027. That's a long, 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 long time from now. Right. Um, Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to know how badly we're going to need that pick then. Not not to use it that year, but to have a guy on the roster to fill a to fill a roster need. Um, so it's it's one of those things where you know you're 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 trying to evaluate the value of a guy who you know now in Matt Stafford, and a guy who you don't know then of whoever mm-hmm. that might be. Um, it's just so far in the future that it's hard to really compare. It's so apples to oranges. Mm-hmm. But I, I think the thing that you'd say is it's you're 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 kind of saying, "Eh, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it." Okay, well, the bridge might not get you to the other to the other side of the river. You might just yeah. kind of be stranded. Well, so what? As long as what you get now before you get to the bridge is worthwhile, and so you know, I I, I, I think anybody could be critical of the idea that it was an expensive trade, that it's going to really hinder their ability to course correct, assuming they need it three to four years from now, which is a fair assumption. But at the same time, if the Rams go to the NFC Championship or the Super Bowl, obviously, this year and next, there's it's going to be very, very, very hard for anybody to criticize it, mm-hmm. even even by the time we get to 24, 25, 26, because yeah. y- you will have gotten what you wanted out of it at the time. Now, that's the pressure they've got to deliver on. If they don't, then it's a lose-lose, right? If, the, if this team doesn't go to the NFC Championship the next two, three years – and then five years from now, they're in a place where they're starting to look at losing football and having to course correct. And they don't have a first round pick on the roster because of it. That's where you can be critical. But if they're able to get it done this year or next, it's going to be very hard to to look at that trade and not feel good about making the most out of their chances when they had them, especially when you got a guy like Aaron Donald on the roster.
0: Yeah. What do you think of uh, things from the Lions perspective? Because I, a, you know what do you think of brad holmes because that's a guy that you probably have uh, been aware of for quite some time you know given his uh, yeah. length of career with the Rams. so your thoughts on brad holmes but also like uh with regards to the lions because it's it's hard to not praise the lions for being like yeah you sure. guys are a bad team and now you've got future first round picks and at the same time it's almost a one-to-one comparison to the, to the Jaguars, you know, right. they traded, they got two picks from the Rams. And at the end of the day, they're the worst team in the NFL with Trevor Lawrence, but that has nothing to do with the Rams other than the fact that they gave up Jalen Ramsey. So they were a worse team. So like that made them get Trevor Lawrence by being less talented. So they had to get less talented to get a in guy order to get him. yeah, And and then you look at the rest of the guys and you go, okay, they got Travis ETN and Caleb on chase on. So are the Jaguars really, really stoked about the Jalen Ramsey trade? And what what do you think about uh, what Brad Holmes has to do for the next couple of years?
1: Yeah, I think the bottom line is when you look at guys like Jalen Ramsey, Matt Stafford, or even Jared Goff, you're not talking about guys that are starting out their careers, right? So if you're a team in the position of Jacksonville and Detroit, you need guys that are starting out their careers because you're going to have to build your way out of the bottom. It's going to take a couple seasons. Um, the good thing for for where Jared Goff's at right now for Detroit is the expectations outside of, let's say, Lions fans are going to be relatively low. Right. Mm-hmm. Who's ex- who's expecting the Lions and Jared Goff to really make noise this year? Relatively nobody. Yeah. So they can kind of build on that. Look at what they got last year out of Jeff Okuda, not a great rookie season for a number two overall pick, but they've got time to be able to groom him into a more functional NFL corner while building out the roster and adding more talent here and there. And the good thing for Brad Holmes is obviously as the new GM, he's got a longer leash than the previous admin did going into 2020. So he can be a little bit more tolerant of uh, certain aspects than they were able to the last two years. Um, That gives him a little bit of comfort to try to build out the roster the way that he sees fit, kind of the way that Lesny did. We mentioned that RG3 trade. Um, Of course, Mm -hmm. the difference was he was building it out for a coach that ended up not being there when they were successful. But, you know, we'll have to see. It's an interesting setup for Detroit. But like you you said, there's there's almost nothing to lose because the losing already happened. They're already in the basement, and so they're going to have to build their way out, and you don't do that in a season. So adding more top uh, or end of the first round, let's say. Uh, capital to be able to add to your draft stash is probably a good idea when you're winning less than a handful of games
0: what is you know your true cap on the Jared Goff career in Rams as far as like well we know that it's over now so given from where you were in 2016 to where we are at the end of it like what's your it's your final statement I guess
1: it's just weird it's so weird to have the you know The high, high of 2018, making it to the Super Bowl and all the accolades that were heading his way where, you know, you had beat writers suggesting he was the seventh best quarterback in the NFL. And they were saying, yeah, I know one beat writer said he had a better resume than Dak Prescott and Russell Wilson. Uh Uh, You know, he was what, 30 something on the NFL top 100. And then just two seasons later to be kind of thrown under the bus by your own coach and GM as soon as the season's done that that's a roller coaster, man. That, that is a, that is a high peak and a low, low Valley that I don't know know that we see a single player do that in the span of three seasons for the same team. So I'd probably say it's weird. I think it, I think it also is going to need some context that he wasn't going to get here, right. Where so much of Jared Goff's career is going to be tied to Sean McVay over the last couple of years. And we kind of need to untangle that to get a sense of what was Jared Goff and what was Sean McVay. Um, You know, obviously, given the trade, we know what the Rams thought, but I'd I'd, and I'll I'll also cop to a bias where I've I've been historically more favorable when discussing Jared Goff than let's say the average Rams fan, and therefore certainly Mm -hmm. the average NFL fan. But I I just I wouldn't be surprised if he affirms himself pretty well in Detroit, and then depending on where things go there, and obviously. If he stays there, I wouldn't be surprised if he settles into a pretty nice career that we look at the last two seasons with the Rams and just kind of get confused about the fit more so than the idea of whether or not he was a good quarterback, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that does make sense, you know. And if 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 we were focusing on something that I like to call respectful discourse, uh, I think you know, me and you couldn't be further separated, maybe on Jared Goff, you know, just in the sense of like. Prior to uh, me covering the Rams, you know, I was critical of Jared Goff. And people could say this is that for on any number of reasons. Yeah. I also was very vocal about the fact that Aaron Donald should be an MVP. So, sure. I mean, <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, it's clearly, I don't think I have any sort of bias. I've also said many times, I think Matthew Stafford will take the Rams to the Super Bowl. So, I, I mean, I, I for me and you, it's like you might – think that uh, Jared Goff during his his prime was was even better than what uh, most people thought I thought maybe he's worse and at the end of the day a player being better or worse is so highly dependent on those around him and for sure especially you know the quarterback position is so interesting because the the real quarterback a quarterback's real job is not to be great it's to make everybody else great you know And I think that for me, Jared Goff was in that position where I think everybody else was making him great. And so that's just uh, a matter of opinion, though. You know, that's that's the way that I think two people can look at the same art and uh, see completely different things. Sure. Uh, I think I think the
1: other thing that, that we could say is that and what's funny is that it, it started out as kind of this, uh, an epithet right that turned into something that was more illustrative of the context because you're right it is about the players and the people around it but it's also about the environment and the structure around a quarterback and you know at first when people were suggesting that he was a system quarterback it was supposed to be like an insult right Mm -hmm, but i think it became more representative of what his skill set lent itself to and when he could be successful and I, I think the, the reason why I say it was a weird career is that I'm still not sure what changed, and clearly it changed so much, but I'm still not sure what it was that changed around him yeah. that made him completely unusable from mm-hmm. the Rams standpoint. Because by the by the time the season was over, it was clear he was unusable. The Rams had to get rid of him, right? It was was a combination of getting Matthew Stafford, but it was also getting rid of Jared Goff. And so to the extent that two years ago, he was leading the team to the Super Bowl, and this is, again, the same human being that we're talking about. Clearly what changed around him made him go from a very successful productive quarterback to one that was completely unusable according to his own employer. And I think that maybe is the more interesting part than Jared Goff himself if only because the people who are in charge of creating that environment are still in Los Angeles and now responsible for creating a successful environment for Matt Stafford. He may not be as reliant on that environment and the people in charge of creating it to be successful, Matt Stafford I'm talking about, Yeah. but but it's still important for those people, whether it's Sean McVay and the offensive staff and obviously less need in the front office for adding the talent to the roster, they're still in charge of making sure that this is going to be as successful as it can be. And it, the, to the extent that they failed Jared Goff, I don't know that they've taken any responsibility for that, but the context suggests that they should at least somewhat, because when they had it right, it went really, really well. When they didn't have it right, I understand that they're kind of using him as the scapegoat, but it it, it kind of makes me question what that approach was and why they undertook it in the first place if it wasn't going to be successful.
0: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, w- one name that always is going to come up with Jared Goff is Carson Wentz, but at least right. with Carson Wentz, you can go look at how fucking bad that team can't became yeah, and look at his him. injury and everything yeah. about it, you know? So like, at least with Carson Wentz, there is some sort of explanation. I agree. You know, that's even when the season started, uh, I, I prior to the dolphins game, those first seven games, I would have had to say, Oh, I'm going to eat crow here on Jared Goff. He's yeah. not, he's not playing so bad badly. In badly, fact, yeah. I think he's elevating the team around him. He's making good decisions at times, yeah. at times, and, and mostly avoiding the bad decisions, you know?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, And then the Dolphins game, four turnovers in the first half pressure, you know, there was a lot of pressure on him, but that's the job, right? Like, especially when you're making $30 million a year, the job is if you face a good defense, you gotta, you gotta beat them uh yeah. <laughs> if you're under pressure all day you, you can't throw an interception to interceptions to guys like christian wilkins six, six. Yeah, you yeah. know um but uh, do you have you you know it's hard to say do you feel like is what is what you're saying that you feel a little less trusting of sean McVay over the last year or two
1: in a sense i mean because because part of what what the The explanation was from the Ram side was we were asking him to do things that he wasn't doing well enough. Right. Which I get, yeah. he's got to take responsibility for not doing them well enough, but then it's also, why were you asking him to do those things? If, if, if he, if he, a, proved himself unable to do those, but also B, you, you're a coach. You got to have some predictive abilities where you're putting together game plans. You're organizing the roster. You should have anticipated that he wasn't going to be able to do those things. He's already proven some things that he can do well. Why not build upon those and allow him to do more of those than pushing him almost square peg, you know, triangular hole kind of situation, and saying you've got to be able to do this for us to be successful. It, it, it's not so much that I'm and I'm not trusting McVeigh. It's just that I don't understand how we got to that place in the coach-player dynamic, and I don't know why we got to that place. If that makes sense, too. I, th- I think I think the why might be a function of things that have nothing to do with McVay and golf. And that's maybe my concern is that it's is not that, that I'm, that I'm trusting McVay less or that I think he's not capable of putting his quarterback in a good situation or anything like that. It may have been forced upon him and the response was maybe lacking. And that's what concerns me moving forward because McVay is going to have to have a similar response. You know, Miami, Miami didn't load up with six guys up front just because of Jared Goff, right? They, yeah. they saw a perceived weakness in the structure of the offense. Robert floor did remember he did it with the patriots in the super bowl too when he was their defensive coordinator right where he looked at things and he saw okay this is a way that we can attack this mcveigh offense and find some structural advantages to our defense and he was right i don't know that that had anything to do with jared goff that's maybe my concern not so much that i don't trust mcveigh it's that getting rid of jared goff doesn't remove that structural disadvantage when you mm-hmm. go up against the Miamis and some of those other teams that are able to work in that front and, and San Francisco <laughs> that, we, that we've been dealing with twice a year <laughs> under McVeigh. That's been able to have a lot of, although I know Salas in, uh, where's he at New, uh, New York, right? Yeah. Uh, that, that getting red of golf, maybe doesn't absolve you of the responsibility for that response. That's maybe the concern.
0: I'll give you, uh um, as far as well, we talked about McVay, as far as Les Snead, I, I, I don't know. Like, I guess I'll give you a hot take. Executive of the year right now, front runner. Why? I think that the Rams didn't necessarily exit last season as a very strong contender. Right. I think that they had a lot of issues. We knew that they didn't have a first-round pick. We knew that they didn't have cap space. We knew that they, you know, had this almost untradable contract with Jared Goff, or at least that's what I thought that I knew, you know, there were so many things that would seemingly be going against them. How could they retain, uh, you know, whether it was going to be John Johnson or Leonard Floyd, you know, how could they retain any of their free agents? And I think like looking at the team today, really stacking them up. it it so much depends on how much of a difference really does happen on offense, I think, but, and as well as Raheem Morris and the impact uh, on defense, but, Overall, I think like, okay, as much criticism as less need gets for, oh, look, they have $40 million in dead money. Oh, look, they, they never have first round picks. Oh, look, like this, this team didn't draft a center or whatever. At the end of the day, I think, oh, wow, you know, where this team started out 2021 versus where they look to be in June versus where they could be in September. I think early contender executive of the year, what do you
1: think? I think it's possible. I mean, it, it it feeds into that idea of the aggression, right? Yeah. That that as if they go out and make it to the NFC Championship or the Super Bowl, it's going to be real hard not to suggest that that's the case. That Lesney deserves that. But the, the you know the bill the bill for that aggression doesn't get paid at the end of this season, right? Yeah. It, it's coming in a couple of years, and I think you're. I totally agree with you that I think. They made the most out of what can be concerned, uh, you know, considered a, a, an available Super Bowl window. Uh, maybe not the most because of Julio Jones, but you see what I'm saying. They've tried to make the most out of yeah. it, and they've been really aggressive in making sure they do everything they can to support this team to win as much as they can now. And as long as they do that, yeah, it's going to be hard not to look upon them favorably as long as they're able to put it together this season.
0: I mean, and if, if anybody, uh, if I could turn anyone that's against, uh, you know, neat or, or what I just said, uh, again, I would emphasize, look at the Packers right now. Sure. You know, look at the Seahawks after uh, you know, potentially, I don't think that the Maybe, Seahawks yeah. will trade Russell Wilson, but uh, I, I'm starting to believe that this could be the end uh, nearing the end. Yeah. Look at the, these situations and why did some of them happen? I think, partly because the Rams saw, saw something going on and they said, we got to do this now. We got to do this immediately. Yes. Two first round picks, just do it. I have an, I have a feeling that that's what it'll take. And you know, if you were going to trade three first round picks for Matthew Stafford or three first round picks for Trey Lance, I think that I would go or two first round picks for Stafford versus three first round picks you use sure. on Trey Lance, but sure. yeah, I would go Stafford. So, uh, But that's neither. Well, who knows? But I think there was some foresight in there to be like, get this thing done immediately now and and just walk away and start planning for the season in January. And they got a plan in January with Matthew Stafford, as opposed to the Packers don't know who their quarterback is going to be. The Texans don't know who their quarterback is going to be. The Seahawks have not seen uh, Russell Wilson go back into camp with the players that maybe feel slighted by him. It, it's going to be so interesting to see how those situations play out. And you know what? If the Rams aren't going to be interesting in that way, good. You know, you know don't be the, the, the team that's like, oh, is there conflict or this or that? And maybe guys are holding out, you know, Jared Goff, as you said. Could he really return to the team this season uh, in that same light after it became quite apparent that maybe Sean McVay preferred John Wolford by the end of the season?
1: I mean, think, think about what that sentence alone indicates. Right. Yeah. And where they were. But you're right. They 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 it was clear they felt they had to do the deal now because they know they want to win now. And it's just one of the, one drives the other, right? They've got this window. They want to maximize their chances. And that's spurring on this aggression. So I definitely don't have a problem with it. It's just one of those things where now you've got to go out and win. If they think about it, if this team, as as much praise as, you, you know, if you're saying, if we're setting up a hypothetical situation for less need to win executive of the year, that's not going to happen if this team loses in the wildcard round. This is not right. This isn't a team that's really going to be even Matt Stafford. They're not going to be judged on the regular season. If Matt Stafford goes out and has a fantastic regular season and has a horrible game in the divisional round, what are people going to care about more? And the obvious answer is the playoffs, because that's the barometer for teams of this caliber. So it's definitely going to be interesting because it's such a small, uh, like I said, the sliver that they've got to be able to feed into to be successful this year is really, really, really thin. It's very, very narrow. But if they're able to get it done, I think everybody will fairly praise them for it. And if they're not, the questions that we're going to have coming out of this window in the next two three years are going to be louder and more blatant and more blunt than ever before. Well, not that ever before <laughs> than ever before in the McVay era, let's say that.
0: You know that that idea too of uh, well, the Rams if they lose in the wild card round, you know, one of the th- ways to avoid that would be to to get to the number one seed, of course. So you know, is this not yeah. interesting? And I haven't really even thought about this or said this or read this. Anybody say this really? I mean, I'm sure that it's out there on, on some people's minds, but let me lay this out. These are the double digit win teams in the NFC last season Packers probably aren't. I don't, I don't think Aaron Rodgers is going back, but
1: I don't know. He's so, he's so, um, he's so teenager.y right? I could, I could see him being like, no, actually I love green Bay in like a week. He's 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 like that. He can he go could. 180 cuz he's just like that. He's a weird dude.
0: You know what? Though I I I think that this whole thing is narrative spin by Aaron Rodgers camp to avoid bad publicity for what it really is. It's a contract holdout. Yeah. Probably. He wants more money. He wants guaranteed me. money. That's it. So I, and the Packers cannot give it to him. So that, right. that's why I, I am uh, assuming he won't be back, but yeah. you're right. His, his attitude is such that um, he could show up on Tuesday. So, uh, weird, but, right? but no doubt there is conflict. And that's sure. the number one seed from last year, the Green Bay Packers, number two, 12 and four, the New Orleans Saints, no Drew Brees. Number uh, three, the Seahawks, 12 and four, you know, I, I, Seattle, they've got all their pieces in place right now, but we'll see if that uh, results, uh, what that results in. And, and you know, Russell Wilson. Is and I
1: know it's also, I know it's box. a one game sample size, but the Rams beat Seattle. In they did Seattle in the
0: playoffs. not only did they beat them. Yeah. They went to Seattle. It yeah. was not that competitive. Like, right. And that's what they do to the Seahawks. So, you know, that is probably not yeah Exactly. Number four, reigning champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I mean, how much older can Tom Brady ever get? I think, uh, you know, I'm not far be it for me to question a seven time Super Bowl champion. I'm not going to do that like a lot of people are. But if he didn't win the Super Bowl. If they had lost that NFC championship game in which he played poorly, that's the end story of Tom Brady last season.
1: Maybe. And go back to week 11. What happened? They Rams go down Rams go down to Florida, and they beat the Bucs. Yeah. That's still a weird game in, in retrospect. But, yeah, I mean, I, the, you, you keep listing these teams, and there's, there's reasons to be very optimistic for the Rams for, against each of them.
0: Those are the four teams that won more games in the conference last year. All those quarterbacks are either old or gone or could be gone. Or cranky. Or cranky. And then even the teams that were like closer, which uh, the Bears, I said my thoughts on Justin Fields, the Cardinals, the clear number four team in the division at any, I I, I look at all the rosters in the NFC West and all the positions, the Cardinals have a couple things going for them. I'm not, I'm not considering them a, a true contender. What do you think?
1: I mean, they're clearly the little brother in the division. What I wonder about them is how much of a mental hump it is to be as behind the Rams as they have been since 2017, where yeah. the Rams have owned them, um, and they've continued to uh, under McVeigh. As much as they've improved and as much as their roster, although that roster in 2017 was – straight unrecyclable trash uh, outside of Chandler Jones.
0: Uh-huh. So
1: they, they had nowhere to go, but up with that roster, but they have added quite a few very, very, very talented players. I I just don't know if that mental, it's one of those things where like uh, the old, uh, the Chicago bulls against the Pistons, the Mavericks against the Spurs until you get over that hump. It often seems insurmountable. And then it just happens. I don't know that they're there yet.
0: Yeah. And these are the remaining starting quarterbacks, presumably Ryan Fitzpatrick, Kirk cousins, Daniel Jones, Dak Prescott, Jimmy Garoppolo, or Trey Lance, Jared Goff, Sam Darnold, Jalen hurts and Matt Ryan. So when you look at Dak Prescott, when you look at Matt Ryan, you know, these are probably two teams that you could say they could flip their records around next year. Uh, the 49ers can flip their record around if not better um, but overall there isn't that much standing in the way of the Rams and then everyone's seed, at least in terms of like what you might expect. Like it's, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not enter the dragon, right? Like they, they sure. can get through this.
1: Especially if you look at the schedule, like I, I know where you were kind of looking at it from a standing st- standpoint. If I look at it from the schedule standpoint, especially mm-hmm. before the buy, mm-hmm. It's going to be very, very, very upsetting if the Rams aren't sitting in the number one, number two seed going into late November because Mm -hmm. they've got it all there for them. And then it's just about what we saw from, you know, Tampa Bay this year from the Rams in 2018, that the good teams start turning it up in December and are able to summon some of their better play. Um, They're going to have to do that after the bye this year. But with as much pressure as they're going to have on them, I think they know that going into training camp.
0: Um. Let's uh, let's touch base a little bit here on Stafford. I think that you know I think that um, I'm definitely on board with the idea that Matthew Stafford has been uh, I don't want to overshadowed by how bad the Lions are uh, or at least how anonymous they yeah. kind of end up being because. You know, the only reason you talk about the Lions is either, oh, how surprising that the Lions are in the playoffs about to lose this wild card game. Or oh, look, it's the Lions. They they're they're losing. It's or they're just seven and nine or nine and seven. And it's just like, okay, the Lions are there. But
1: he's gonna well, play and, and their and, throwback jerseys. Those are beautiful jerseys. That old, the Barry Sanders throwback, that is a 10 out of 10 jersey.
0: Is there anybody that doesn't want to see the Lions do well? I mean, For once in our lives, <laughs> it's really crazy. But that's also like sort of the way I've always felt about sure. not just like the line. It's like when people go, yeah, but, you know, the Jets are going to be different now with Robert Sala. I'm like, I hope so. <laughs> didn't you say that about every other <laughs> oh, coaching hire? Like what <laughs> is different this time? Nothing is going to be different until you change owners. The bills changed their owner. And all of a sudden look at the bills, you know, like to me, I, and I don't know anything about, you know, what's going on with the the lions or whatever, but the point is, you know, Matthew Stafford's going to play in about five or six primetime games this season and playoffs potentially, probably maybe, and he'll get more national exposure this season than he's had in his whole career combined. Yeah. Uh, And he's a former number one pick, which those guys almost always get overlooked at. Um, That being said, you know, I think these last couple of years, Stafford has put up better numbers than he had put up for most of his career. And he did this in spite of the fact that Kenny Galladay missed, I think, at least half of that time, I think. Something like that. Um, didn't have a lot of great stuff around him. What do you expect from Matthew Stafford? Now that he is out of Detroit and in Los Angeles, he's going from all of the uh, Lions head coaches to Sean McVay.
1: He's definitely been underappreciated. Right. Uh, yeah. But I think, I think that's part of what we do with, with good players on bad teams, Chandler Jones on the Cardinals, Aaron Donald in his early career, where he didn't get anywhere near the attention and the respect that he deserved mm-hmm. from, let's say the casual fan or your, your, uh, what's the right word the the national media that has to deal with um The pressures of, you know, covering the more popular angles and the more popular teams. Yeah, Um, I think that just happens. That's a that's a function of, uh, you know, going to bad teams that have historically been poor, at least for a couple years and you get sucked into a black hole where people don't really uh, take notice of of the individual players quality because they're stuck on a team that's underperforming. Um, You know, what I, what I'd say for Matt Stafford this year is I talk about the cycle a lot. The cycle is just the term that I gave for the three main functions that happen in the off season where every single fan base uh, expects more out of their team. Than they probably should where every fan base thinks their team's going to hit the over where every fan base thinks their rookies are going to deliver where every fan base thinks their free agents hit. Uh, And and it creates an irrational, uh, an irrational environment because each fan base thinks their team's going to do it. And that's not the way football works. The cycle is going to be drowning this year. I'm going to swim in it because it's going to be fun, (laughs) but I mean, think about what we're going to read about Matt Stafford. We were reading about that, you know, Jared Goff talking about 3,000-yard wide receivers when we had none. We were talking, you know, mm-hmm. the the way those things got out of hand, it's going to get silly out of hand with Stafford. So, I mean, if, if we're trying to be rational, I think we all expect him to put up big numbers. We all expect this team to be good to very good and obviously competitive into the playoffs. As the quarterback, there's no way to shy away from – the the effect of uh, the quality at the position on the team's quality overall and so as long as Stafford's playing well you expect the Rams are going to be playing well in general um but good lord is that bar going to be set high (laughs) you're gonna you're gonna have people seriously and trying to sincerely talking about a 7,000 yard season by the time we get to late July yeah
0: if um yeah 17 games you know uh, yeah yeah
1: and the expectations, they're going to be so, so, so high now because, you know, you look around the offense and you see the, the components that they've got at the skill positions. You've got McVeigh as the head coach. And the fact that Jared Goff has become this kind of black hole scapegoat for everything wrong, it's kind of setting this up for, oh, man, now everything's going to explode because of Matt Stafford. So it's one of those things where I, I don't know that it's possible to be very rational about him from inside the Rams bubble. Um, which is going to make it fun just because, you know, we're going into week one and everybody's going to expect everything. Uh, and, and maybe we'll get it. Who knows? Maybe it'll be that good.
0: You know, uh, one of the things that I think good, and this will be related when I ask you about the draft and Tutu Atwell, but um, one of the things that I think uh, is not necessarily being talked about enough with regards to the Stafford edition is deep passing and, yeah. uh, and pushing that ball downfield. And, you know, uh, that, like the, uh, like I said about the Miami game, you know, whether that's because he had no time to throw or whatever, like it was everything was short, 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 yeah. short. And, and designed
1: Robert, to be short. Right.
0: And designed to be short, because yeah. you really didn't you I really you really feel like with Sean McVay and the, they, this has been said over and over again already by other people, but like the Sean McVay feels like this is a new start for him. This is a fresh start for him, you know, and we might see a whole new playbook in some senses, but not that new because I mean, Robert Woods, here's the average depth of target for Robert Woods in 2018, 11.4 yards per average depth of target in 2018. When the the Rams offense was one or one and two, you know, 2019, it goes down three yards from 11.4 to 8.4 last season. It goes down another two almost to 6.7 yards per target so he goes from 11.4 to 8.4 to 6.7 over the last three seasons cooper cup goes from 8.4 of average depth of target to 7.2 to 6.0 and that not on top of that robert woods 11 passes over the last two seasons thrown to robert woods have been intercepted five passes thrown towards Cooper cup over the last two seasons have been intercepted. This is not the way that they were playing in 2018. Yeah. Um, how much would you expect then maybe Robert Woods and Cooper cup? Cause we talk about Julio Jones to some degree, maybe McVay feels like, yeah, but you're talking about the Robert Woods and the Cooper cup. You saw the last couple of years, we're going to air this thing out. We're going to expand it out and we're going to see some uh, some, we're going to prove again that Robert Woods can, can, can go deep. So what do you think about that?
1: I mean, it's really the, the biggest question about the 2020 offense is, is why it was such a truncated offense. Um, was it because McVay didn't trust golf? I mean, we saw golf make those throws in 2018. So physically he's got the skill set for it, but maybe there was something structurally that McVay did not trust him to push the ball downfield as frequently. Was it yeah. the offensive line? Did McVay not trust the offensive line to protect mm. him for seven step drops? Remember what happened at the end of the season, there was pressure. Jared Goff got injured. Um, yeah. You know, I I don't know that at least for the first month of the season, you want to have Matt Stafford dropping back and forcing the offensive line to protect him for three, four, five seconds to go downfield, given the risk factor that incurs. Right? Um, was it the lack of a running game? Obviously, the end of the Todd Gurley saga and then uh, into last year where it wasn't a very run-heavy offense that maybe lessen the impact of the run itself but also in terms of the play action because we know that play action has always been a heavy part of the McVeigh playbook that maybe he wasn't able to unlock that with as much effectiveness because they weren't running the ball and so the threat of the play action wasn't as sincere Mm -hmm. I don't know um you know a combination of all of those uh maybe but you know that question is the one that McVeigh's he knows the answer to, but he's got to apply the answer now to the Stafford regime, because if it's something that didn't have specifically to do with golf, then it hasn't changed, right? If it, yeah. if it was about the offensive line, well, you you got everybody, the bands back together again, minus Austin Blythe. I don't, I don't know that, you know, you're going to trust the offensive line to protect matt stafford this year more than they did jared goff if it's if it's the lack of a running game maybe you're going to try to run the ball more but it would seem a little strange to to make this huge trade for matt stafford and then have him throw the ball less than jared goff was because you Mm -hmm. want to give the ball to your running back more i don't know but uh certainly they're going to have to figure out a way to take advantage of matt stafford's skill set because he's a he's not only a very good uh you know, deliverer of the ball deep downfield. He's also able to create some situations and some spacing for him to take advantage of that in a way that Jared Goff, that was just maybe his worst skill overall. He couldn't create space very well. He could create space for his throwing motion, but not to open up for second and third routes. And that's obviously yeah. something that Matt Stafford is fantastic at.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, I, I really, I mean, who, who hasn't said this? I just can't wait to see him in, yeah, in a new exactly.
1: environment. Um, yeah. And what McVeigh does with them once they start, they're going to open it up at some point. Mm-hmm. But what that looks like, I don't think we'll know until we get there. But yeah, it's definitely exciting as hell, even for neutral football fans who who should be looking at this and saying, "Okay, what can be done here?" Because the answer is going to be a hell of a lot.
0: I, I hate to you know speculate, and I don't, um, and I don't mean to question anybody's like uh, character or work ethic or anything like that. But I'm just making a broader point here, and I just wanted to preface this with that. But um, you know, it's, it's so much easier for us to sit back and judge these players based on the 16 games they play during the regular season and nothing else. And yes, that is what, what all everything else is for is those 16 games and the playoffs, whatever, like that's what it's all for. But, we don't know necess- We don't know how Jared Goff practices. Really, right. like in ter- we don't know what Jared Goff is like to be a coworker with. We don't know yeah, what exactly. Jared Goff is like on the- on all of those moments that take place in the other hundred and fifty or so hours of the week, other than the game itself. And when the game itself isn't going well, well, then you know a- anything else that's going on outside those other hundred fifty hours is no, going to no. come yeah. under question. You know, Aaron Rodgers can be. Aaron Rodgers because of everything that happens in those games.
1: After the Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: So when Jared Goff stopped winning, who knows, because you just, and, and who knows what Matthew Stafford is, is like, I think that the, 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 the thing that goes well for Stafford is obviously his, his just very long standing like track record and and history. And, and the fact that, you know, nobody in Detroit seems to be like, Oh, we're so happy to get rid of Matthew Stafford. It's just like, this is just over. So uh, it'll be interesting to see like how Stafford impacts um, Sean McVay and the rest of the team in terms of just all those other hours of the week outside of the games
1: um, and it's such a new environment for him, right? A new functional environment where yeah. clearly, what you could say about him in Detroit was he was very professional in how he handled losing, right? He yeah. never, he never like you know complained or anything. That Detroit fans, even even at his exit, still really appreciated him because he held himself in high regard, yeah, um, and and acted the way you would hope a quarterback would when you're, you're as a as a franchise struggling. Well that's not where the rams are. So that yeah. skill isn't needed, right? Yeah. yeah. It's kind of the opposite. We need you to be kind of a driven maybe petty asshole, right? Because yeah. we need, because we got to win. And so if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. Look at Tom Brady. I, like, does anybody actually like Tom Brady? I don't think, I don't think anybody actually <laughs> likes Tom Brady, but right, he wins, man. And that's, that's, that's what matters. And so it's, it's such a unique circumstance where you've got a quarterback this late into his career that hasn't really been in this kind of a, an environment where the results are really, really, really expected in a way that they weren't for his first dozen or so years in the NFL It's definitely fascinating.
0: Um, Any team's first pick in a draft is going to become sort of the um, representative of of that draft class. Yeah, and the face of the franchise. Regardless of whether that's in the first round or the second round, Uh, although I will say, you know, because of the way that the draft was constructed for the Rams this year, the way that Les need moved pieces around, truly Tutu Atwell is the guy that they came out of this draft with because he's their only pick in the top 100. It was, it was. There's a big uh, just in terms of draft projection. There's a big difference, even though. I know that a lot of people would have said Tutu Atwell wasn't a top 100 prospect in this draft. You know, the Rams felt that he is. So I'll uh, give them that respect and Tutu that respect and, and just we'll start with him. So, you know, what are your thoughts on, of not just like Tutu Atwell as a fit for the Rams, but Tutu Atwell, uh, regardless of where he had been drafted, like what were your thoughts of him as a prospect?
1: He's interesting. I mean, obviously the first thing you're looking at is the size, and I think I think it's just indicative of where the NFL is at now that you can take a five-nine yeah. wide receiver in the top 60 picks. That is a uh, that's new. That that wouldn't have been possible, yeah. you know, years ago. Um, can the, I tell you uh, why
0: I think that is? And please. I mean, this is my personal theory.
1: Five. It's because people hated short people in the 70s. You can say it. We were, well, we were, come on. We were just the rude the 80s to shorties. in the 60s.
0: <laughs> um, I think that within the last 10 years, players who are coming out of high school or going into high school or deciding on a college, and they're like in this certain size range, and they're going, and their coaches are going, Hey, yeah, go go behind there, be our running back. And the players are going. So that I can be the next uh, fucking uh, DeMarco <laughs> Murray or whatever, yeah. you know, or at least DeMarco Murray got paid, you know, so I can be the next fucking guy that that has a two year career and everyone and says, I, yeah. yeah, and uh, everyone says, fuck that guy, he, he's a useless replace him don't pay him, you want to be that guy. So, you know, I think that there's a finite amount of talent. And the, those players of that size who are talented, like a Devonte Smith, for example, just because he's a, a guy right. that's here. I don't know that Devonte Smith would have been a running back per se, but I think like you can start going like, yeah, NFL receivers are now five seven, five eight, five ten, five eleven, 58 five, 5,11, the elite ones, because you know, they're basically running backs playing the wide receiver position, you know, in, yeah. in a way, in a way that is.
1: No, I totally agree. And the, the, the fact that you say a running back playing a wide receiver, I think we've gotten to a place where we can start differentiating between wide receiver roles. And we should yes. we should probably stop calling them all wide receivers because yes. they're maybe more different than they are alike. If you go back like historically and you look at the wide receivers of the, the – especially the 70s and the 80s and into the early 90s, they were all kind of shaped the same. They're all like 6'2". Mm-hmm. They're all long striders. They could all go up and fight for 50-50 balls. There's still value for those kind of wide receivers, certainly in the NFL but there's also a lot of room for other guys that do a lot of other things well. And we, we, we found guys that have extreme success, guys like Steve Smith that don't have the physical characteristics. Mm-hmm. Similarly guys that do have the physical characteristics and can't take advantage of them as frequently like a Kelvin Benjamin type where they've got all the physical characteristics, but they're not as useful as a wide receiver because they don't fit the system that they're, that the quarterback is trying to implement. I think that's kind of what you got here with Tutu, is that th- this is for a different role. Tutu's not lining up as a flanker or a split end and going to go downfield and hug the sideline and go up for a 50-50 ball against Richard Sherman, right? Yeah. You're, not, you're just not ever going to ask him to do that. So it, it kind of doesn't matter that he can't do it, because what you're doing is hiring him for what he can do and, you know, explosive quickness, um, good in space, maybe very good. I'm going to be eager to see how he deals with space. You know, the, the Rams were so good at creating space in 2018 that that was what you saw Robert Woods and Cooper cup and Todd Gurley racking up all these extra yards from was just taking advantage of space that was getting created. If, if we get back to that kind of an offense that's able to take defenders away from certain spaces on the field and now you're able to get Tutu into that space, I think that's where maybe we haven't seen enough of him to know how good he'll be, but we know he's certainly above average at and that's maybe what's most exciting about bringing him to the team. The other thing I'd say about this draft is The same way we were just talking about, we shouldn't combine all wide receivers and compare them as quote unquote wide receivers is that drafts are different. There's certain teams that need way more out of a draft early on, like a Jacksonville, obviously, Mm -hmm. than a team like the Rams that just didn't have the draft capital to do something similar to what the Jags did. And so because of that, just, you know, in terms of your approach, You've got to approach those drafts completely different. And I think the approach for this draft, understandably, wasn't to be a high impact immediate draft, it was more to fill in some gaps on the roster to add a couple talent here or there to maybe replace your second or third guy certainly 2 3 years down the line because you don't draft guys for year 1 you have to give them four year contracts and so if they're going to develop into NFL players you know you know a guy like Bobby Brown is probably going to have more impact in 2023 and 24 than he's going to have this yeah. season and so because of that you don't have to draft a you know you're not getting one of the best edge rushers you're not you're not drafting a ton of starters you're just trying to fill some depth out on the team. And I thought overall, I, I, I like the draft, but that's a relatively, quote unquote, easier draft to nail than somebody who's got to go out and get a starting quarterback, you know, after the first three picks in the draft, if that makes sense. Yeah. you know, Level like, of difficulty was lower. How about that?
0: Yeah, it, it, there are. You wish that uh, every response had such nuance, or like, uh, you yeah. Know, every time someone was like, "Oh yeah," thinking about the draft, and I'm, we're talking about the 2021 draft uh, because, like, you know, if we're talking three, four years from now, and people are going like, "Oh, the uh, the fucking GM of this team really fucked up the draft," and 2021, yes. I'm like. Oh, the 2021 draft, the one with no like combine, no, no no season the year before for college for a lot of players, all the opt-outs. Uh the draft talent pool was 600 players instead of Trey Lance guys.
1: played one game, man. Trey Lance <laughs> played one game.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and it was an FCS of, against and the only and the team was like and he didn't play that well, but and like so think, he,
1: think think about how how reliant they are on making sure that pick goes well versus the Rams. If, if these picks don't go well, that's not going to set this team back that much compared to the effect of missing on a Trey Lance. When you put that much into the pick to get up, to get them. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And with regards to the very, very, very specific complaints, which are about the center position uh, or the guards or whatever, it's interesting, right? I think, um, Anytime somebody says like, oh, I'm upset that the Rams didn't draft a center because they have a need for one. I'm like, show me an example that you have of a starting center being drafted right away. Like yeah. in the second, third round, fourth round. I mean, if you're mad that the Rams didn't pick a center in the fourth round because they have a need in 2021. But you should have been mad way, about it
1: three years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, uh,
0: yeah. I mean, first of all, like, Austin Corbett is the center like that. He is a guy who was drafted to be a center f- f- a few years ago. I mean, if you're, if you may not like Austin Corbett, you might not think like he's going to be Austin Corbett, like the guy that the Browns were hoping, but with what about Austin Corbett versus the Rams, other options this year, you know, uh, as, as yeah. you said, it's, they're at the point of what they need to do now. Now they can't yeah. go back and redo yeah. something earlier. Exactly. Um, I th-
1: what's interesting about it is really just, th- I'll use the term that Les need used on, uh, the, what is it? 11 personnel podcast with Rich Hammond and Jordan Roderick at the athletic, uh-huh. when he was talking about the linebackers last year, but I think the same term applies to the offensive line because we've seen it the last couple of years, Rams go to the super bowl that off season, they lose Roger Saffold to free agency and John Sullivan kind of gets edged, pushed into retirement and the Rams end up not making any additions, uh, functional additions, uh, to the line. In 2019, they end up not making any functional additions to the to the line in 2020, and now we've gone again and not made any functional additions to the line. I think part of what you can attribute that to, is and the, this is the term that Les Snead used, is courage. Courage from the coaching staff that they're going to be able to get it done. I wouldn't have used that word. I would have used a different word, maybe faith. Mm-hmm. But the idea of knowing that it is not stocked with premium talent, right? Mm-hmm. They, they know that, they understand that, but they think they can get the job done with these guys. And they've clearly believed that for the last couple of seasons now. Um, the fact that that hasn't changed doesn't surprise me at all. It just means that you've got to, to make do with what you have and they think they can. That's a, that's a bet that they're making. Uh, and so, you know, the, the idea that maybe there's courage among the offensive coaching staff uh, from the OL coaching staff up, I I think is, is maybe indicative of their feelings less more so than like the front office, not thinking that they could upgrade on the line. Cause I think we all understand that they, you could get more better talent than what the Rams have amassed on the interior over the last couple of years. But if the coaching staff thinks they can make do and you're looking at somewhere else and you're saying okay well if we don't spend this on offensive line we can spend it over here and that coaching staff says yes please then then maybe you buy into your offensive line coaching staff's courage and say okay we're going to let you guys work with what you have so that we can improve some other areas of the team. I don't think that's necessarily the worst thing as much as, you know, some of the fans that really wanted to see a center. And I I was one of them. I would have, I would have loved us to get a center, but at the same time, I can understand the justification from that coaching staff and front office's standpoint of saying, yeah, "We're, we're going to make the most out of what we have. And we think that should be good enough.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't remember which centers were available at 57, but um, at the end of the day, like, yeah, if the Rams had taken a center, I mean, obviously when they picked Tutu Atwell, at that point you're saying, well, like, yeah, why not just draft a center that did go in the fourth round because that might've been where Tutu went. But I I, I think, uh, and by the way, I I, I like Tutu Atwell and I'm very interested to see where he goes. And I'm not one of the guys that necessarily believes always like that you know, draft projection that happens yeah. before the draft is so yeah. nothing, you know, that a guy
1: would have been available. Yeah. That's yeah. 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 Throw that away.
0: Uh, I mean, just the mere fact that the guy was drafted when he was drafted says that you didn't know what his <laughs> draft projection yeah, was. Exactly. Yeah. You didn't know about yeah. the Rams. So yeah. therefore, you know, like that thing. So like, yeah. Uh, but yeah, when, when it's a focus on the center position and I don't want to be the guy that goes like, Oh, we'll look on the bright side, but you know, Sure. Chief, the Chiefs don't have a perfect roster. The Bucks don't have a perfect roster. Every Nobody, team has holes. Every, every team, team has holes. And, yeah. it, and you know, it's like, you know, the, if you go like, uh, I'm worried about the Rams inside linebackers. You go like, are you worried about Aaron Donald and Donald. Dan Ramsey? Yeah, exactly. I know. That's, yeah. you know, that's yeah. why they can skimp on those positions. You know, that's that's the idea.
1: That's uh, why I like to call them roster gaps and not roster needs. Yeah. Is that different teams need to fill the roster gaps more than others. Right. So you go back to like 2018 when we're getting to the trade deadline and Dante Fowler's heating up. It's like, Oh, we need to improve at the edge. No, we don't, man. We're eight. No, you, yeah. you don't need, you don't need to do anything yeah. you need to keep winning. But
0: <laughs> yeah. You don't
1: as much as like, you know, the jets need a quarterback, which one of those needs is more severe. It's not close. I mean, the the not, other thing I'd say, and I've good. been bit by the cycle on this a little bit is Think think about where in this podcast we started talking about the offensive line compared to Matt Stafford and Sean McVay. If 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 the center position is so or is so important to improve that you can't possibly have a functional, you know a, a, a an above average offense, that says something maybe about Sean McVay and Matt Stafford, right? Uh-huh. Where I've got I've got enough confidence in those guys that they can deal with a deficiency in offensive line talent, and maybe once we get to the football some below average outputs from the offensive line that they should be able to make that something that doesn't hinder the progress of the offense overall. Otherwise the fuck you just trade two first and a third for, to improve a quarterback. (laughs) You're making the argument that that's going to be able to paper over any deficiencies on your offense. So it's Mm -hmm. one, it's one of those things where I I feel more and more confident, not that the offensive line is going to be great. Although I think they did play their best half of football against Seattle in the Mm -hmm. first half in the playoffs, which is, portend something good about where they're headed um but you know they they don't need to be the best offensive line of all time for this team to success to be successful no. so that's I mean, the point.
0: so many uh, teams i mean even you don't want uh you don't want to have to have the best quarterback in the right. nfl but at the end of the day even the chiefs almost won the super bowl with a very bad offensive hey. line yeah hey uh Detroit's got
1: a very good offensive line right and you know
0: there's some good pieces yeah and now they got Sewell which obviously I think for for Brad Holmes is uh such a such a good start um it's a good start
1: that's exactly right yeah
0: yeah uh my favorite pick of the draft was Robert Rochelle cornerback in the fourth round what do you think was your favorite pick and uh and if not Rochelle what do you think of that?
1: pick by the Rams or pick uh, in the oh, draft uh, by the Rams, by the Rams. I think probably my favorite pick by the Rams. Um, gosh, maybe, maybe Ernest Brown, um, mm. maybe Jake Funk, just cause it's going to be fun and what a, what a fan favorite that gets to be almost yeah. like uh, Sam Rogers a couple years ago. But um, you know, uh, I, th- I think that it goes back to what I was saying. This is a low expectations draft where <laughs> I, I don't, I don't have huge expectations for these guys, but that's fine they're going to plug in all across the roster. Uh, I mean, think, think about Robert Rochelle, you've got Darius Williams and Jalen Ramsey. How, how much is Rochelle going to, how much does he even have available to even play? I don't know that there's a ton. Uh, yeah, maybe, be, maybe they'll yeah, work him in the slot. Term. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Long-term. So it's one of those things where, uh, I, it's, it's hard for me to get really jazzed about this draft in general, because I don't think it was that kind of draft for the Rams, mm. but I also like that. I also like that. They're in a, it goes back to um, 2018 when I know Rand Sands went into that draft saying we really need linebacker help. And it was like, no, cause I don't even know that if we get a linebacker that he's going to be able to start over Mark Barron. Right? right. We were just in a position where the team roster was already too good for the draft and I think that was kind of the case given the way the draft set up for the Rams this year has nothing to do with the guys that we got just more the fact that the Rams are in such a good position and so kind of top heavy where they're at on the roster that it just didn't fall well to them in terms of the draft but yeah I guess I'll go Ernest Brown but I also like the idea of what they're kind of doing up front where Mm -hmm. you know even though we lost Brockers you got Greg Gaines you got Sebastian Joseph Day you add Ernest Brown this is getting to be a big 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 collection of bodies around Aaron Donald I kind of like that.
0: Um. Yeah, it's interesting. Like in terms of what you say about the draft and this draft class, and uh, I think the 2021 class as a whole is like, yeah, when when you do have Atwell at 150 to 155 pounds, that's that's one pick, and another one would be Jacob Harris, who at yeah. 219 pounds is a tight end. Um, and he's like six, four, and he played, he went to school on a, on a soccer scholarship. So, you know, he had to, he had to work his way into even being a football player, but he's a fourth round pick of the Rams largely because I think I would assume, and I would hope because of his athletic abilities, which are so rare, but part of the reason that he's able to be so fast and so quick in the, in the short shuttle and everything is, uh, because he is so rare thing He's
1: not a big boy, yeah. yeah. Um
0: so yeah, it just sort of does speak to the the type of draft that this was, which exactly. is saying like okay, we're we're taking chances here and uh
1: And why not, right? I mean, you don't you don't need to go out and get impact starters. So Yeah. That, that, that was why I was more comfortable with the draft than I think a lot of Rams fans is. I I wasn't expecting the impact that I think Rams fans really wanted to upgrade certain components of the roster going into week 1 and I thought I didn't think they needed to do that. I thought they had already done that before we even got to the draft.
0: You got any surprise starters uh, for the Rams next year? Maybe somebody that people aren't talking about.
1: A surprise starter. I think we've probably seen things locked in on offense. Maybe on defense. Um, I think you're going to have some opportunities for surprise starter. I'll, I'll give you one that I'm interested in is Traven Howard. Um, I, I obviously everybody forgot about him because of the injury mm-hmm. last year, but I know he's somebody that was thought really highly of among the coaching staff. And so when they start putting this front seven together, I think the back end is probably somewhat set, uh, likely mm-hmm. because of Jordan Fuller's uh, you know, emergence yeah. as a rookie last year. But I think there's gonna be some opportunity for something like that among the linebackers, whether it's Traven Howard or one of the rookies, you know, like a uh Ernest Jones, maybe jumping over Micah Kaiser or Kenny Young, is something like that. But uh, I, I, or or even among the edges, because I don't, I don't know across from Leonard Floyd, who else? I, I like Terrell Lewis. I think he's the best pass rusher on the team. I also don't think we're going to get sixteen games out of him reliably every year. So maybe maybe there's an opportunity there to be had for Obanaya Okoronkwo. I know he's been a, a guy that fans wanted to see bust out for a couple of years that hasn't really done so, but maybe that's the opportunity that he's got in front of him now this year that uh, fans were hoping to be there. I think that, that front seven is where I'd look for maybe a surprise this season more than any other unit.
0: Um, you know, I've, I've, I've really uh, – I've loved being able to like um, – follow the Rams and and cover the Rams and see from your perspective, you know, what you had done so well and for so long at turf show times and everything like that. And, and there's still a lot of players, obviously, because it wasn't that long ago. There's still a lot yeah, of yeah. players left on the roster. One of my favorites though, in terms of just, just, cover it. Not necessarily a, a guy that, uh, I think should be starting and he might be one of the most divisive on the team, if not the most divisive among the fan base at times, because he'll show up, uh, for starts of, uh, at times. Um, I want you to, I want you to be bold and I want you to tell me in, if you, if you can a prediction in the year 2023, what will we be saying about Taylor Rapp?
1: Oh, man, I love T-Rap. I I think what we'll be saying about Taylor Rapp is that he's a core component of the strength of the defense, which is the secondary. I know Aaron Donald's up front, and obviously he's he's the sun and the world revolves around him. But I I think the secondary is starting to emerge as the strongest part of the defense. I think that started last year for the first time. I think it's going to continue. I also think, I mean, Aaron Donald's, no spring chicken, man. He's that that's, that's maybe the conversation that matters more towards the structure of the Ram that nobody's having yeah. is how much longer Aaron Donald is Aaron Donald. Cause that determines a hell of a lot for what the Rams need to do uh, in terms of their roster. Um, but yeah, I think, I think part of the problem with Taylor Rapp is that his, his, his part of his past defense is predicated on relationships Right. And you got a sense of this in 2019 at the end of the season in the 49ers game where Jalen Ramsey got real upset at him uh, publicly, Mm -hmm. which was interesting. But I also think that can be really healthy to have that kind of honesty from guys. And, And because of that, it's not like a Jordan Fuller or a John Johnson that's making plays individually. Taylor Rapp has to lean on guys around him. I think that takes time to adjust to. I think he he, he was probably poor in that aspect in his uh, rookie year, although I thought he was fantastic in run defense. Mm-hmm. Um, and got better, but with less opportunity this last year. I think he's in line to really have a successful season, if only because his role's a little bit tighter. I know that seems weird to say that with John Johnson leaving, but I'm also real big on Terrell Burgess, and I expect to see a decent amount of him this year. But the group as a whole at the back, between the cornerbacks and the safeties, is probably my favorite component of the entire roster.
0: Um. Yeah, I, I'm I'm rooting for Taylor Rapp, and I'm also thinking about like just the changing ways of defenses, whether or not you know there are ways to get Taylor Rapp involved. It won't necessarily ask him to be a starting safety every every week and everything like
1: that. Almost like a Rover. I think there's a role there for him. That's a little bit different that I think is going to allow him to, to be better individually. I'd, I'd, I'd also put it like this. I think Taylor Rapp is kind of in the same bucket as another guy on the Rams roster. And I think Taylor Rapp, just because of their positions, is a little bit more exposed to some Rams fans' criticism. And maybe that discomfort that you were kind of alluding to that he kind of polarizes among Rams fans in a way that this guy does it because of his offensive uh, or, or, or his position is Joseph Noteboom. I think Joseph Noteboom and Taylor Rapp are kind of guys in the same kind of situation, the same kind of circumstances. And I think Rapp, I feel much more comfortable about moving forward compared to Noteboom. You asked, where would Rapp be in 2023? I think he's going to be the guy, a kind of guy that we can look at and say, OK, I understand why we need to give this guy a contract extension. It may not be a top of the position extension, but to understand that as a role player, how valuable he is to us what are the chances that anybody understands whether or not the Rams should or shouldn't re-sign Joseph Noteboom? I have no, I have no idea. I have no confidence in even trying to assess that, even though I think he's in the same kind of set of circumstances as Rep.
0: Uh It got me curious about Aaron Donald. Um, just because I'll say because of Aaron Donald's uh, unique body and yeah. and preparation and everything that he's done at this point in his career. And you could point to a guy like Reggie White, who had over a hundred sacks in his career yeah. after turning 30. Right. Um, maybe there's hope for, for Aaron Donald to have another 10 years or eight years or six years, whatever. Um, let us pray. Let us pray. Uh, I, I do. I mean, know-
1: look at what happened against the green Bay, right? That That's kind of what I was alluding to yeah. is that when he's not a hundred percent, it affects everything up front. And that's not necessarily the Rams fault because, you know, you can depend on Aaron Donald being that guy when he's healthy. And so you can structure, you know, strategically around that, assuming that he's going to be that guy but one day let's like we said let's hope it's in eight years yeah. and not four. that one one day that's going to start to be something you can't rely upon and then you've got to restructure everything that you're doing in your front seven
0: um i'm curious because you've been a nfl fan for a long time and uh you've seen a few hall of famers um not that this will happen aaron donald uh anytime soon as we've said but uh what's one what's a guy who like you most remember that the first time you saw him go out there and not be a hall of famer anymore, like it, it started to hurt. And he was started to had to like, let start to let go of that player.
1: Yeah. The easiest one is Orlando pace, but that's because just like, or just like Aaron Donald, these are, these are hall of fame guys by the end of year one. So yeah. when you're that, when you're that good for as long as Orlando was, and as long as we hope Aaron Donald is once it's over, it's over. And it's, it's because they set the bar so high that, yeah that it it becomes pretty obvious when they're not meeting that anymore. So, yeah, let's hope we get another 8 years out of Aaron Donald and him and Orlando Pace can sit in the same part of the Hall of Fame. But yeah, Orlando but Orlando Pace was different than Aaron Donald because Aaron Donald was a guy who didn't really become Aaron Donald until right at the end of his college career, right? He wasn't a huge high school recruit. Early on at Pitt, he wasn't he wasn't Aaron Donald. He became Aaron Donald. It, it, almost like a, the, I'm a Mavericks fan. The way that Dirk took a couple of years to to build his skill set out and become a Hall of Famer, that's not the case with Luca. Luca arrived and was immediately like, "Okay, this kid is special." Yeah. Orlando Pace was special when he was 15,
0: right?
1: <laughs> he, was, he was the best player in America in high school. He was the uh-huh. second freshman, e- true freshman ever to start for Ohio State. He was immediately fantastic. They had to create offensive line stats to capture how good he was. He was a projected number one overall pick by the end of his sophomore. Like Orlando was one of those guys where it's like, God damn, this guy's been a he was an NFL Hall of Famer by the time he finished high school, right? It, yeah. there's just not a lot of guys like that. And Aaron Donald wasn't like that. So we've seen it from Aaron Donald, obviously, since he's been in the NFL, but Orlando, Orlando Pace was in the NFL by the time he was 17. They just didn't let him play in it.
0: It's, it's, um, I, I, I totally agree. And I I wish more people would sort of point out that very, what should be a very obvious fact, which is like, greatness is great. And you know, it right away, you know, even when it's like a guy, it's so
1: blatant, it's so blatant.
0: Sometimes a guy gets in and you go like, how did this guy, you know, Orlando pace was the number one pick, but sometimes it's a guy, like even a guy like Russell Wilson, who, you know, immediately came in and win the job in week one and and very surprising to people. Uh, or, um, you know, uh, Justin Jefferson, you know, who knows yeah, yeah. what Justin Jefferson's future yeah, yeah. will be, but because sometimes guys do get off to hot starts and then it's not as uh, good. Uh, but Justin Jefferson, you would just go like, oh shit, this guy went after Henry Ruggs and right. uh, this and that and the other thing um, that that sometimes like I, I just think like when guys are in the league for two or three years and people are going like, oh, I really think that uh, this is going to be the year uh, for you know, so-and-so it's like, you know, typically by now you would know. So you would just think like, you know, when you know, and like, uh, this year, you know, if Trevor Lawrence or Zach Wilson or Trey Lance come out there, then, then you go like, yeah, you know, when you know. Yeah. I mean, um,
1: go back to, go back to the draft, right. 2014, where, you know, and Clowney, obviously a top edge that makes sense as a number one, the Rams needed to fill left tackle they went with Greg Robinson. That made sense. Blake Bortles was the top quarterback. That makes sense. But after that, you start looking at, even though the the picks have obviously worked out for some of those teams, you Khalil Mack and, Mike Evans and uh, Odell Beckham Jr. Nonetheless, there were 12 teams that passed on or 11 teams because of the Rams went twice, 11 teams that passed on Aaron Donald. And yeah. uh, you know, that, that, that in and of itself is kind of a uh, the kind of fact that I'm looking at when you try to evaluate Aaron Donald, that there weren't teams that were that knew that he was capable of doing what he's done since day one. And that, that's part of what makes it really interesting is that they did, they didn't see this coming.
0: Uh, we'll wrap it up here. Uh, I sent you a, a few questions prior to this and, and, um, maybe I'll just, uh, quickly look at those, uh, you know, as far as the 2020 season goes, any game that stands out that makes you go, Oh, this was a problem for the Rams last year. It was exposed in this game and it wasn't fixed.
1: I think there's two that I'd point to. One is kind of indicative of where they've been since the end of the Super Bowl, where I think the biggest problem for this team has been consistency. They're able to beat good teams and they're able to play really good football. They have been over the last two seasons, but they've just been so inconsistent. And I don't think a game sums that up more than losing to the New York Jets in week 15 yeah. when you're putting together a playoff run. Like that's one of those games where it's like, guys, what the fuck, man? That makes no sense that this is the, the NFL is one of these leagues and we know there's tons of parody but it's one of the like I was certain we were going to win that game even into the second quarter. I was like, there's no way that we're going to lose this game to New York. And we did. And it that, it's just baffling the way that uh, the NFL reminds you from time to time of the whole any given Sunday mantra. because yeah. it, It's really true. It really is. Even, even when you're certain of it, that's why I don't bet on sports. I don't bet on football ever because of games like that. I have, I have no certainty. <laughs> I won't let myself put any money where my mouth is in these kind of games. Cause I'm, I'm wrong on them all the time. But I think the more, the more representative one, especially going into this season was the green Bay game in the playoffs. Um, you know, this is a, this is a team that's going to be judged by what they do in the playoffs. Uh, If, if the Rams go 13 and three this season, we won't care about the three losses. The only thing that'll matter is what they do in the playoffs. And you know, what, what are the chances that let's say Aaron Rodgers goes back to the green Bay and he ends up playing. What are the chances the Rams face green Bay at Lambeau field in the divisional round again? It's gotta be pretty good. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, you know, that challenge, is the same challenge that it was last year. Let's hope Aaron Donald's healthy if we get a rematch there. But that's the challenge that they face. Not the not the, not the the 17, I guess said 13 and three, but I'm not used to this 17 game thing yet. The, it, the, the 17 games don't matter. They only matter insofar as A, what injuries the Rams are gonna uh, incur during them and then B, what it sets up for playoff seating in those matchups. Because everything for this season is gonna be defined by what they do in the postseason. So I think that Green Bay game, because we lost it, and because I wouldn't point to Jared Goff as the reason we lost that game, that, that that's the kind of game that uh, is more representative of what the Rams are going to have to solve this year if they're going to be successful. Successful wow. on their terms. Not successful going 14-3, and because that's not successful. Successful is a playoff run.
0: Yeah, I, I – um... want to flip this also and uh, look at the more optimistic side, you know, and I I think that uh, sometimes optimism or uh, positives can get left behind when the season doesn't end like you wanted it to. Uh, But I will point out, you know, the Rams had some really strong wins last year, as you alluded to beating the Buccaneers in Tampa Bay, beating the Seahawks twice, including in the playoffs, beating the Dak Prescott Cowboys, which is a a real Cowboys team. It was a good Um, game,
1: really good game by both teams.
0: And, uh, and also going on the road, playing well on the road, uh, beating the Eagles at a time when maybe the Eagles should have been better, you know, yeah. blowing out the football team, blowing out the bears, uh, and blowing out the Patriots. So, uh, maybe, maybe among those games, which one gives you the most optimism though, uh, throughout the whole season,
1: probably Tampa. Cause that was such a complete game um the new england game was great because it was a beatdown. and any to any time you get to beat down the patriots i don't care what team you are it doesn't matter that feels good and what they score three or six they whatever it was yeah that was just i mean like come on man that's just great um the two games i'd point to here probably would be the first half against seattle because i thought that was the best uh performance from the offensive line which Filled me with a lot of hope moving forward that the courage that we talked about earlier, that the coaching staff clearly has in them, that maybe it's getting to a point that they're making good on it. Uh, I don't know how much I want to tie from that game to this season, though, because sometimes it's more, you know, recency bias, but to see that to see that half that performance from the offensive line was really, really, really heartening, I'd say. But uh if I if I had to point to one that now in retrospect looks even better, it's the Tampa win because you know that was a really, really good Tampa Bay team in Tampa in November. All the conditions were there for that to be a significant game. And I think the win kind of ratified the significance for what it meant for the Rams moving forward, even if by the end of the season, the Bucks won the Super Bowl, so they don't give a shit if they lost that game. But at least, at least for us, it gives us something that, uh, you know, we you can be pretty comfortable that the Rams are able to compete with anybody last year. So that certainly means they should be able to this year. I'll
0: um, Also, through this, I think we covered a lot of this stuff. What would um, be the more important statement to you, Matthew Stafford is the quarterback of the Rams or Jared Goff is no longer the quarterback of the Rams.
1: Yeah. That one's easy for me. It's that Matt Stafford is the QB because you could have gotten rid of Jared Goff. They could have gotten rid of, they could have cut him. Yeah, They could I'm sure they could have found some other trade partners. They might've had to throw some more in yeah. or, or something different and not get a quarterback back, but the opportunity costs for getting rid of Jared Goff are not limited to Matt Stafford. They specifically wanted Matt Stafford, Instead of Jared Goff. So it's that Matt Stafford is the quarterback. And, you know, you you look at the opportunity cost, those two first and a third, if if the Rams don't make the NFC championship this year, it's either going to be, or let's say the next two, three years, it's either going to be because A, the quarterback didn't play well enough, in which case, yikes, or B, there's going to be some other units on the team that aren't maybe strong enough. To be able to help that team get to a Super Bowl. And you could probably, you probably could have used two firsts and a third to improve them. So, you know, it, Matt Stafford is the quarterback of the Rams. And that's kind of where a lot of the analysis for this season is going to begin and end, and rightfully so.
0: Um, And, you know, you, you mentioned the schedule briefly and, and that you liked uh, how it sets up in the beginning. Overall thoughts?
1: No, I like it. I think the away games after the bye is going to be the challenge because you've got four of them, you got Green Bay to start the second slate, Uh, you go to Arizona and I think we'll have to see what Arizona really looks like this season. And certainly by the time you get to mid-December, I think that that's Monday night football. And then sandwiched in between the final contest of the NFC West Seattle and San Francisco, you got road trips to Minnesota and Baltimore. The one in Minnesota is an early game too. So uh, those those are challenges. But, you know, in order to be the best, you got to beat the best. This is a team that I think we're all going to expect to be extremely competitive and make a be in position to make a playoff run. So if the Rams are going to achieve what they want to achieve this season, they're going to have to get through that gauntlet. But it, it certainly looks like the gauntlet that uh, matters the most in terms of the schedule.
0: Does it matter that Shane Waldron is in Seattle now?
1: I don't think so. I mean, you know, what you're what you're essentially asking me is, is Shane Waldron gonna fuck Russell Wilson up? And I Uh I don't think you can. I think Russ is too good for that. (laughs)
0: Uh, well, uh, thanks for. But uh, let's
1: hope. Let's maybe (laughs) maybe maybe that's the the is that the uh the North Star for the Rams this season is hoping that Shane Waldron is uh. Uh, poison from inside the the organization. It's
0: just odd to think about what, what Pete Carroll's idea is, Yeah, you know, what's Pete Carroll doing, you know, why, why, why Shane Waldron and Andy Dickerson, why um, at this time? And uh, is it just as simple as, could it be as simple as he was the best guy for the job? Could it be uh, something more, directly related to the fact that the Seahawks are so incapable of beating Sean McVay's Rams. Uh, There's so many different ways to go.
1: Yeah. I think it goes around Russell Wilson, kind of what we talked about with the idea of when you've got an Aaron Donald, you can strategically structure your roster around that assumption. I think it's the same thing with coaching when you've got a quarterback as good as Russell Wilson is that you can strategically structure what you need out of your coaching staff around the quarterback position where, you know, I know I know the Seahawks have a quarterback coach, but do they really, I mean, why do they have one for their backup? not for yeah. us. Right. So, yeah. you know, f- to the extent of whatever reason they brought in Shane Waldron and Dickerson and the the staff that they've amassed. Now it's more to coach up some of the rest of the roster than it is to get what they know they're going to get out of the quarterback position.
0: Um, that's it for uh, pod TST man. What a uh, remind people about where they can find you and beyond the horns.
1: BTH underscore Rams. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram. I'm at three K underscore, but don't follow me. I talk about soccer food. <laughs> that's boring. It's dad life.
0: Get some Jacob Harris tweets in there.
1: <laughs> I don't have any Jacob. What does it, I don't even know how to get, I will say this. I will say this. You mentioned the idea that we're kind of getting back to normal football. Jordan Rodriguez posted a clip of, I don't remember who it was. It was one of these guys that's a, you know, you got the 90 man roster. He was probably like, if you ranked him, he was like 83rd on the yeah. roster, but he had one pass rushing rep and that stuff was like crack. I forgot how much <laughs> I missed it. I was like, Oh God, that's so good. Yeah fifth defensive end pass rushing rep video on Twitter.
0: (laughs) It's back. It's back. And it was, I was
1: like, oh God, I forgot. I loved it. I'm such a whore. Well, thanks for coming
0: back to uh, drop in on TST and turf show times. I I know everyone uh, misses you and really enjoys it when you drop in to the comments or, or a podcast or anything at all.
1: So I'll try to be more available in the comments. You guys have been doing a great job covering things and obviously uh, you know, it's as interesting as the team are, you guys yeah. are not going to be lacking for yeah. things to be able to cover, but uh, you know, to go from where we were in 2018 and the end of that season, going to the Super Bowl, Todd Gurley's knee, and and fast forward just two off seasons, and now Gurley's and golf aren't even on the roster anymore. Yeah, man, things move quick in the NFL, and especially for the Rams.
0: Especially for the Rams. Who, I mean, good luck guessing what the Rams look like in uh, another ah. two years. Ah uh that's it for pod tst uh the rams podcast and uh yeah you're here already listening to this probably but uh, turfshowtimes.com and soon enough the training camp will begin i i hope so uh, that's it for pod tst come back next time for another episode